Profess Error, the podcast where we celebrate life in academia through the failures we've experienced, not to celebrate the ways in which we fell down, but the ways in which we've gotten back up. In this episode, Professor Jen Lather from University of Nebraska comes in to talk about some of her experience with teaching, teaching a brand new course when she was first starting, and some of the valuable lessons she learned through, through surviving that challenging experience. Hopefully enjoy it. Well, welcome to Prophet's Error. I'm um, excited today we're joined by Brian Franz, of course, um, but also joined by Professor Jen Lather of University of Nebraska. Jen, Brian, how are you both doing today? Pretty good. Hey, good. Good. Are both of you feeling the st- start of the weight of relief of the semester being over, or are you still in the midst of the dust uh, not yet being settled? Mm, finished my grading, so yeah. I'm just sitting on grades until Monday when I have to make it official, but I'm feeling better. I'm uh, I'm still waiting for the dust to settle. It's been Oof. a surprisingly busy week for finals week. I feel like grading is one of those things that like, we are aligned. If the students don't like it, we don't like it. It would be such a nice thing to just disinvent if we could somehow do this. I feel like it's a whole headache and I've never really talked to anyone who actually enjoys the process of it. Um, we got ours entered last week, so I think the dust has settled, but I don't know. So um, what we want to talk about today is about starting up as a faculty member and teaching and some of the challenges you can have with starting up and teaching a course for the first time that might be a new course or a challenge or what have you. Um, so maybe we can just sort of start out by talking about some of our experiences in general when we started it up and, and sort of what's expected and how this works. Like when you're a new faculty, how do you get uh, decided on which course you teach and some of those things? And uh, what were some of the experiences you had? So I don't know, Brian, you want to start and we'll kind of go around. Like, what was your experience like when you started? Sure. Um, so when I started, uh, I had a reduced teaching load for the first uh, year. So it was, uh, it was one and one. So one course in the fall, one course in the spring. Um, and I, I was, I think, fortunate because the way that it was assigned, um, it wasn't just, you know, here, teach, we have an opening, teach this. It was more, they gave me some say in it. It was, what are you interested in teaching of, you know, here's a couple courses that um, we're going to need some help in because there's some faculty that are retiring. So which of these do you think would be a good fit for your first class? And and I was able to pick one that was pretty similar to a course that I had TA'd for um, while I was getting my PhD. So it was kind of UF's version of of that course. And so I was able to, to bring over a lot of the structure of and the, the some of the material that I had you know, developed in, in that, that course during my, during my graduate work to, you know, make this one even better. And so it was a, it was a nice kind of easy transition for me, um, in that first year. So I I think I was lucky though. I don't think that is everyone's experience, uh, by far. Um, so I I was very fortunate to have that happen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's why we have today's episode. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, mine was unremarkable. Mine was kind of like yours. I was a little bit lucky that it lined up quite well with what I could do. Someone else had already taught the course, was super generous, like every course material and assessment and project description and rubric and blah, 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 all the stuff sort of had. So I felt like I, and I, and we had a one-on-one starting out point too, which was, was not too painful. Um, Jen, what was your experience like? Yeah, my experience was, a little bit different. Um, 
I, but, but not dissimilar. You know, I was given a class that was in my area of expertise. However, it was a brand new course mm -hmm. in a brand new curriculum as part of a series of curriculum changes that had been rolled out across three to four years. And I got, I guess, essentially hired because of my area of expertise in uh, in this area to, to develop this course. Um, and so I was really excited about it. I was like, yes, this is great. I am like jumping right in to this. But I, yeah, but I didn't, I guess, realize how hard that would be to develop a brand new class from scratch that's novel in both method of teaching and in the content, right? So. And in terms of timing, like how long did you have to prep for it? Are we talking a couple months or a couple weeks or what, what type of time? Yeah. So, um, so I found out about the assignment relatively early, okay. um, but I was still finishing my PhD. I couldn't start early. Mm. I, so I had like, I couldn't get into the system and get really like understanding what the school was like and the resources and all those things until uh, two weeks before classes started. So I knew, I knew the assignment maybe a month before that. And that's when I started maybe panicking a bit. <laughs> maybe just for some context too, can you give us, if someone's unfamiliar with what you do, like what, what's the little overview, like what kind of work, what kind of domain are you in within our, our sort of field? Like what, what type of work do you do? Yeah, so I do work with how teams use technology and how we leverage data and data analytics from operational data facilities of buildings and use it in um, design and delivery processes. So I'm really interested in data more broadly, but um, I'm also a VR expert, a BIM expert, um, and a few other things. And so this course had some tie to technology. So you thought piece of cake, right? Everyone was like, oh, we got the right person. This is, she can yeah. handle it in two weeks I, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess maybe a little bit of background on the series. So it was, um, they decided to put in this new program in, in the architectural engineering program. Uh, and they wanted to make sure that they had better skills around build, BIM, so building information modeling. And Building information modeling is a very complex thing to teach. And usually the way it's taught in most schools in the U.S. is to have an intro to designing uh, in, uh, in 3D with, uh, with a parametric modeling uh, software. And so that's one software package. You learn how to use that. And then you learn how to get, you know, drawings, contract. Uh, construction drawings from that or other sort of use it for other use cases later on if you go in, into more advanced studies. So the way that they had envisioned advancing the way that BIM was taught was to do that intro class, but also have a, a four-part series that was taught each year of the four years of undergrad with the culminating one being this fourth year uh, assignment that I was given. And then 
And then in the fifth year, so it's a, it's a five-year program, the fifth year, you really use that to develop your, your final project for the degree, essentially. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but I think that's enough for hmm. the yeah. light version. And so the first, you know, the first class was intro to using a software. Then it was learning about terminology and building systems. And then it was kind of a light version of an architectural studio. So they get this experience of what is it like to be on the design side since they will become engineers. And then the fourth one, they were, they gave me a one sentence verbal description of what it would be and asked me if I wanted to team teach it with someone. And I, I was like, I have no idea one how to team teach. So I'd like to have the control to do what I want when I want. That sounds more complicated. And I think what they need to know is they've learned the design side. Let's learn, you know, some of the more broader use cases, not just what they'll be learning in their specific domain and get them experience in some, some data interoperability that they might use in their fifth year. So I loved the vision. I was like, yes, I'm going to teach them about BIM execution planning we're going to talk about processes and we're going to talk about data interoperability and we're going to do some exploration of emerging technology in this class. I have not seen that at the undergraduate level. I've seen that done at the graduate level a lot. So I'm, I'm very interested in hearing where the story goes. Well, not to jump ahead too much, I think I was overly ambitious and no one, I didn't maybe talk to enough people for them to say, why don't you scale this back a bit? I feel like that's kind of common. Like I, I would say the same thing about me. I don't know if that resonates with you, Brian, but like I, when you're starting out teaching a course for the first time, I feel like I frequently am overambitious of what I think they'll be able to do. I think, yeah, I mean, especially I think at the undergraduate level, everything just takes a little bit longer to do. Like they need a little bit longer on the projects or a little bit less ambiguity on some of the projects to actually accomplish them within the time that you have. Because it's a difference between, you know, learning something and then executing on it. And if you're asking them to both learn and execute in the same semester, then, you know, that's a lot to ask, you know, in the, at the undergraduate level, graduate students. Yeah. I, I expect you to be a higher level. I expect you to be able to, to do that well. And yeah, I, I came actually from a different perspective on teaching and, and mm -hmm. education, actually. Um, in my, in my undergrad, the way that I understood the curriculum was that they started with really big, undefined problems. Hmm. And then they went into building the skills that one needs to tackle them. And maybe this is just because I'm non-traditional background. It doesn't seem like that's very common in engineering. Hmm. And the programs that I've been looking at since, you know, hmm. starting off, because I didn't do a traditional engineering degree in my in my undergrad so so from a philosophy like a teaching philosophy perspective I kind of came from a different place and I didn't realize 
that was different from yeah. expectation. I mean, Steve and I have had had this conversation before. I think there was a, a different podcast where we talked about you know ambiguity and and students dealing with sort of messy problems. Oh and, yeah. Um, it's always, it, it feels like always a challenge with the yeah. engineering side, with the construction side to sort of get them to deal with those situations. They like cleanly defined equations and, mm -hmm. and sort of clean solutions and, and the messier it gets sort of the, the more of a challenge it is for them to, to work through it. And you, they need a little bit more prodding, a little bit more guidance to get to the next step. Otherwise it becomes sort of this analysis paralysis yeah. situation. That's a great point. Yeah. So then, then why don't we dive into this course a little? And and I, I like, we kind of talked at the beginning, like, let's talk about what went well with the understanding we're, we're going to get to some things that didn't, and then maybe what we learned from it. So, or what you learned from it, that perhaps our listeners could, could glean from this in, in their lives. So like this is a new course, right? They, you're on board, excited. You're not having to team teach. You got to do it all yourself. It's your ship to steer, so to speak. Like what, what went well? Like what were some of the strategies you tried and things that were re uh, really positive about it? Yeah. So, you know, first off, I realized that this is going to be hard. So I tried to put myself in the best position as possible by getting myself as much uh, resources as I had available to me. So I was moving from one institution to the other. So the problem there was going to be I was returning my work computer and getting a new, completely new work computer. And I had to think about, you know, all right, I'm going to have, I have all this stuff set up and now I'm going to have to get all the new software because it's, it's a practice-based class. Um, and so I knew that was going to be a problem. So I started, you know, planning out early. So even before I was finished up with my assignments, I was uh, conducting workshops on creating new classes, trying to identify what my goals were, my objectives of the course. And I was looking at uh, how do I set this up so to make sure like we even just have the equipment, <laughs> the software in place. And I, uh, my computer didn't arrive for like a week uh, and like after I arrived in town. And so I had like no computer to work on for two weeks, like between moving and, you know, returning materials and getting my new computer. Um, and then I had to install everything. It was, it was, it was a big time crunch. Um, and so I did, you know, reach out to the IT person, get everything set up. He was like, oh, you're asking me before all the other faculty, you're doing great. So I felt really <laughs> on top of things. Um, but like I said, my, I had kind of this big vision of this class. So, you know, I think I wanted to use too much software. I wanted to do too many things. Um, but as part of that, I found out that we had this really great service in our university in the new at, at UNL and the new university I was at where we could learn about evidence-based teaching practices. So I signed up for that to help me develop the content as I moved through the class because I knew I couldn't get everything ready ahead of time. So I just set myself up with like, okay, what are the bare bones that I need to have? And so from a learning on the fly and developing on the fly perspective, I think I was pretty successful at um, putting some structures in place that I could scaffold and build on throughout these 
semester. So I guess um, I'm curious on that. Given given the, I don't know, not super well-defined overview they gave, you said it was a sentence or two or something like that. Did you feel like you enjoyed the process of defining learning objectives or did it feel like I'm off in outer space? Like, what am I supposed to be doing here? Because like in my case, I've modified the course I took over a whole lot, but I did, I kind of liked starting out by, I'm just going to try to replicate kind of what the other person's done. And then, then I'll see how it goes and I'll modify from there. It would seem maybe a little bit daunting to say, all right, extrapolate from this two sentence description or one sentence description, come up with your learning objectives. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I I had, I had a vision for what the class would be, right. It was, um, in my mind, the link between the grad level course uh, and the undergrad learning how to use the software. Mm -hmm. So I was pulling from both of those realms to try to be like, well, what's the bridge that the student needs to get from here to there? And then I was also taking into mind like they're going to have their final project in their final year and what the scope of that was, which is a pretty substantial team-based activity. Uh, so that's more complicated than what I, so I decided, okay, I'm gonna use that team component make the, this class ended up being that year the um, collaboration and communication objective for ABET accreditation. Mm -hmm. And so I really pulled on those uh, ties. Is that typical? I, I, so I think of our, our accreditation, I wouldn't think we'd typically be putting an accreditation objective on a brand new course. That seems like a, a atypical situation there. Yeah, so I guess there was a rationale there. Um, so they had removed a component from the final fifth year that was similar, and we and put it in this class. Okay. Yeah. So, but it, yeah, it was a little bit weird, right? Like I'm like, okay, I have this new assignment, and then two weeks into classes starting, they they tell me, oh, yeah, make sure that it's got, well, no, they told me ahead of time, but they didn't have like a system for like, how do we hmm. document that ABET accreditation criteria? Yeah. yeah, I still feel like a lot of that, we're shooting from the hip and figuring out what we're supposed to do to document this. So I'm thankful I don't leave that process. Okay, so you were setting up the setting up the course, right? Like defining objectives, like setting up the computer, making sure the infrastructure was ready for teaching. Yep. You had some ideas for that. When you actually started to get into the course, um, I suspect some challenges were quickly present. But what were some of the other maybe good things before we get into that that you experienced? Yeah, so I think you know we were able to integrate some of the like learn literature along with some of the software. So understanding some of the theory. Uh, behind it and integrating that. Although students aren't, they didn't really like doing the reading assignment. So <laughs> I, I like that you at least say they didn't like doing it. I would just be like, my students just don't read. Like don't I, read. I can give them reading. It just <laughs> no doesn't chance. happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So noted. Yes. It doesn't normally happen. <laughs> they were very uh, confused why I was giving them reading in a software class. Um, so that was sort of my first clue that things like were, were maybe misaligned. Yeah. Um, but I that, but we did some really fun interactive activities with sticky notes and discussion. 
we put together a panel on what is BIM and what, where the future is going in sort of emerging technology, which I think we were able to cover quite a few different areas. I think that I got to open their eyes to thinking about how they use BIM because usually on the design side, you're really focused on delivering a design. And I got to, to expose them to those things that they might not be aware of, which happen really on the construction side. And about uh, a few of them ended up taking a, a construction mechanical class after this class, which I will just try to pretend that that was my fault. Uh, who knows? <laughs> but, you know, how would they not? They, they don't, they, the, the connection between um, the two programs here are not very well developed. And I was really excited to be a person that can help build those bridges. Uh, what else went well? I think that I'm hoping that they learn more than what um, they probably, well, what they did at the end of the semester. So that's always the hardest thing to evaluate. Like you put all this effort in, you believe in it, and you don't know what they, what clicks a year or two years down the line. And that's just something that I, like sometimes classes are, are hard or not fun. Um, and if that's our only feedback as teachers, it's hard to understand like what impact that is later on in their career. But I did get an email from one student's brother-in-law that said, hey, I hear you do this research. Why don't I collaborate with you two years later? So at least something stuck in some of their heads and yeah. uh, thinking differently. I think, I mean, I've, I've, I think that's fairly common. I mean, I, I feel like I view a lot of what I do in some of the classes is giving people, you know, pieces of knowledge or piece, pieces of the process. And they, I think of it like puzzle pieces where they, they get a handle on these individual puzzle pieces, but they don't really maybe see how they all fit together or connect and interlock with one another to form this broader process that we all engage in on construction sites like daily and construction processes and design processes all kind of link together, but they don't really see that happen until later. I mean, especially, I mean, I did that intro class and literally they just don't get how those pieces of information click. Like they, they see all the pieces and it's not until three or four classes later or later in the semester that they finally start putting them together and seeing the bigger picture. So I don't think you can necessarily hope that they all put it together in one class. I think they'll get it at some point. Yeah. Well, but, but the other, like, I feel like Jen, you also hit on like one of the fundamental challenges, like Brian, your comment of earlier was something about, you know, if they're trying to learn something and execute it, that's a lot, that can be a lot, mm -hmm. but like, in a sense, like, we we can't really measure their learning like we we measure more of like the output of, i mean there are I, I suppose i should take that I, I suppose there are some mechanisms but most classes that i've seen kind of look at mastery or, or performance or, or or the output or like the competency of doing a thing like where you go, went from not understanding a thing to understanding that thing other than maybe looking at early quiz you didn't score that well later quiz you scored better like aside from maybe that we don't really measure it. And so then like part of the challenge too, is you've got to hope whatever output you, you can assess or evaluate is sufficiently close or sufficiently related to the thing you were hoping they would gain from the course 
I just feel like this is part of almost my frustration where we started with with grading in general and and that process. So I um, I feel like the frustration you're voicing, Jen, about not being certain if they got what you wanted out of it and that kind of thing. I feel like that's true for a lot of faculty just because of the nature of I I can't read their minds, you know, and so I can't really go in and see did this person learn something or do they actually understand it? I can only look at the output, which is at a certain point in teamwork or in other instances kind of becomes a weaker and weaker proxy because there's a whole lot of other factors that go into that out, output than just what an individual knows or understands. Mm-hmm. And I think that really ties into also how we look at the whole curriculum, right? Like how does how does the whole story of the program fit together? Uh, and we don't control always that whole process. So uh, we, we kind of do, but we kind of don't. Yeah. Well, great anecdotes so far. Any other things that were uh, super positive that we should talk about before we get to some of the uh, celebration of, of not so positive things? Yeah. So I guess one more thing. I don't, I guess maybe I didn't, no, I did. I did think I did touch upon it. Is it, but I think there was a certain aspect of the teaming structure that I used that I found really fun to develop, where I both I both assess them at an individual and a gr- group level. And as as we all maybe are aware, when we do group work, it's always really difficult to assess everyone in the group. So what I decided to do for this class was make each person their domain expert. And they had to do their own domain piece and then look at how they connected together. So it's like a little mini, mini uh, project where you have to be an expert on a team and you're the only one that knows about X and the other people work on Y and Z. And you have to kind of think through how you connect with mm-hmm. them. And I think that's a really, it maybe I don't know if it worked, but I think it's a new, like an interesting novel way to think about how we do group work in classes and, and class assignments. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that is good for accountability too, because then it's very clear. It's not like one of those situations where someone can be like, who wants to take the lead and really do the work? If I'm the person that knows my thing, it's pretty hard to say, all right, I'm going to sit back and wait for you to assign me something. Yeah. And it gives them uh, accountability, but also motivation. Um, there's other aspects of it that yeah. that help them kind of learn. I mean, one way to do that is then have all the people that are wise and all the people that are Z's get together and learn from one another. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. All right. So what didn't go so well, let's get to the fun spot. <laughs> the fun stuff. Well, so I think the main thing that didn't work was I didn't know my students. I didn't know what motivated them. I didn't know their background, why they chose the degree they chose, or I didn't know what software skills they had. I think that's actually the two week. Two weeks in, I realized they had no exposure to anything other than a design authoring software package. And I was expecting them to think about connecting design authoring software to analytical engineering software and they had never opened some of those engineering analytical softwares at all ever was that and, a prerequisite to success with the learning objectives you define like did you have to change course mid-semester to sort of remedy that um i had to rethink 
the level of development that I was expecting them to Mm. get, but I wasn't willing to remove that component of them exploring new software. uh, So I knew that they wouldn't be experts in any engineering analytical software, but I didn't have, and I didn't know that they would have none, like almost no experience at this point. so yeah, that's certainly certainly a challenge. I mean, that's at least a thing. That's a mistake I presume you make once, right? I mean, because next this following semester, you're gonna for sure have a have a different outlook on what they'll what they'll know, right? So that that feels like probably a a once and done mistake at least. Yeah, um, it did bring up some interesting discussions amongst the faculty about how we handle software education throughout our curriculum, um, which I think is a really great conversation to have. Uh, I think. We have to tackle that in a lot of different ways across many domains. Um, but let's see. But well, I think also maybe because a big... you had said you're like this is the third course, right? The fourth course in a series. So you'd kind of hope by that point, like people should have some some basic portfolio of softwares they're aware of, right? If it's, if like it's the beyond, last one of the series, yeah, right. <laughs> it would seem like that's a reasonable expectation. But you know, and I didn't know. I think. I didn't know the curriculum well enough. Like, I mean, I look, I studied sure. it, right? I, I, but it, you, you don't learn some of those things without being there, physically part of it, and talking to the students. Was so, there a hardware component as well? Like, did, did the students have their own computers to run the software, or were you using lab computers? We were using lab computers. Okay. That removes another variable because just yeah. imagine if they all had their own laptops that maybe couldn't run some of the software that you wanted them to run, you'd be battling that for half the semester too. Yeah, but the problem was that the labs we were installing all the, so we were adding new software to the lab for oh. this class oh, no. so they could explore whatever software they wanted in their project. Mm. And then we'd have classes in the lab so they couldn't always be in the lab. Oh. So I learned a lot of you just don't know how the IT structure works in a mm-hmm. new institution. I think yeah. that's just a universal truth. <laughs> Which so. by the way, that's like a fantastic takeaway. If anyone's starting up a position and they're listening, they're like figure out what you can and can't do with IT, especially if that's necessary for your success. Cause I had a very similar situation here, right? Like we had a lab and I thought, well, that's fantastic. They can go in the lab. But as you point out, there's classes scheduled in the lab and the building gets locked down at a certain hour and our students have internships and those internships by and large are during the day. So they can't use the lab. A lot of our best students who are hired and working, they can't use the lab in the hours when they need to use it. And so it's like, all right, well, then how do I work around this? Because, you know, so it sounded nice on paper, but there were a whole lot of challenges with it. Um, yeah, so so figure out what the requirements are there because you're right, Jen, huge differences from IT infrastructure from different universities. Oh, yeah, definitely ask about that early. Yeah. Did you have, uh, out of curiosity, like, did you have uh, autonomy? I don't know if that's the right word or, or sort of authority maybe is a better word to sort of say, we will put this on the computers, we will get this, I need the pro version of this, or was it a whole, you send an application, give a justification, all that kind of red tape? Um, so I, so we were a bit, we're a bit of an annexed department. So we have, not department, but the location that our um, facilities were. 
So we had a dedicated IT person that was a little bit separate from the typical IT processes at the university. Mm. So that person I became best friends with on day one. Because I was asking lots of requests and immediate concerns and uh, big ticket items for solving the lab problems that we had all semester. Because like I said, I wanted them to explore. So I had them tell me what software they wanted to use. And I wanted them to use different software and compare it and think about the limitations of, you know, one software package over another. Uh, so I think he did not like me after that semester. But. <laughs> <laughs> you got to buy some beer or coffee or uh, lunch or something like that to make up for it. Yeah, I owe him something at this point. <laughs> uh, All right. What uh, else? Yeah. What else was uh, some of the, the struggles you hit in this uh, in this experience? Yeah, well, I'm just going to say another takeaway treat your it people well like they're the best like staff it all of them they make sure everything runs smoothly and they are the best people to be friends with and make sure that they're happy um so plug there for that yeah I feel like um, st- we should have that's that feels like a whole topic for another episode is like, how do you interface with staff? Because I, I do agree, like when you have a good staff member, they're just like worth their weight in gold. They can remove so many hurdles. But like we're all human. Right. And we like interact differently with different people. And sometimes you have those not so positive relationships. And it's like, all right, well, then how do I either work around it or work through workflows where I don't have to, to work with so-and-so. But yeah, if you've got a good one, I completely agree. Like whatever you can do, just uh, su- support that individual because staff members are so critical to your success, especially when you're starting up and you don't really know where to go for stuff and they kind of know the logistics and, and things there. Yeah, huge, huge yeah. help. And they're usually at their desk as opposed to the hard to find faculty members. Yeah. <laughs> they actually show up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, what else didn't go well? So getting the, the software in time didn't go well. I think uh, having them understand why I was doing, I was organizing class the way I organized it. was a, It was a hurdle. And just, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I want to make sure I'm on, you're talking they, the students, not we're, we're not talking staff anymore. Like this is why, right, why the moving, students are, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the student, you know, the the connection between what I'm having them do and why it's important to them or why it'd be valuable and why they're not just learning a software Hmm. and learning the more advanced features of their sub-discipline. That's where the disconnect happened, I think, the most. Like, they wanted to learn their engineering domain in design authoring, and they didn't really Hmm. understand what I meant when I said BIM or technology or data oh. interoperability. So you were covering BIM as like a process and here's all the pieces of it. And they wanted you just to go over the software. Yep. Oof. Yeah. This is, this by the way is also like a bigger challenge because I've hit this as well. And I, I don't know how to fix this. Um, and I'd be curious if this resonates with your experience, Jen, like what, cause I teach a similar thing, right? So when I talk to my students, I'll say something like, um, look for your success in life, after you graduate here, 
like being able to run the point and click on a software might matter for a little while, right? Like for a little, maybe that's a foot in the door. Maybe that's an internship, something like that. But shortly in your career, your ability to plan for technology, your ability to use or elect to not use a software based on how it does or does not support your processes, that kind of skill set will matter so much more for you. And when I tell the students this on mass, right? Everyone's in the room. I kind of get this like obvious head nod, like, yeah, we know that's obvious. Okay. But then when I go to individual students, like on their first assignment, I say, what do you want to get out of this course? Every one of them's like, here's a specific software I could get better at. So I'm just like, well, there's a clear disconnect because it seems like on mass, you all like, they're all with me at least. And I don't know if this resonates with your students. It's like, yeah, we, we know this is important. Like this is critically important for us. But then when you actually go to them, they're, it's like, it's lost on them. They think either they already have it or they don't need it or whatever, or not interested, but it's like, everyone just wants the low hanging fruit, the sort of point and click skills. And I frequently find myself saying like, just know if you do this, like you're competing with now some like high school whiz kid, who's good at fill in the blank software, whatever, like, like that's who you're competing against now, you know? That's a good point. I think that my students had similar perspectives and I, like just kind of thinking about me as a teacher, I wonder now if that wasn't a misconception. Like, how do we like say a thing and then know that they know that thing? I know we're kind of circling around the topic there, but it's hard. I mean, this goes back to what, what you were saying before. I mean, I think that, you know, when students leave a class, right, they want it when you say, what did you learn? Right. They want to be able to say, oh, I learned this software or I can I'm now a proficient user in this software or I learned the stages of whatever or I learned about some material or I learned how to do structural calculation. Like it's a tangible thing that they can point to when it's theory of whatever. It feels very nebulous. It feels very. Did I learn anything or it just it just it's harder to put your finger on. And even though I think they can acknowledge the importance of it, it's just not something that distills down to a little sound bite or a line on your resume to when you put skills, you can put, you know, whatever that software is, you can't put, you know, oh, understands the theory of BIM. Okay, great. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, junior, can I put you in front of a software and actually have you do it? Like, I think you're right, but that just seems so concerning, right? Because it seems like there's this like intellectual materialism. I don't know if that's an accepted term, but I think you see where I'm going with it. Like, it just seems like we're focused on the wrong stuff. I I don't think I've said it on this podcast, but I've talked with others about this and it feels like the analogy I would use. It's like, if someone was going to college to prep for some set of skills, and we look at that as like prepping to learn a sport or something, it's like they want to go to the sporting goods store and get the soccer ball and the soccer cleats and the soccer shin guards and the soccer shorts and the soccer jersey. But when they leave, they'll have a cart full of soccer stuff, but they may not be good at soccer because all they've done is just shop for the pieces of it, right? Whereas if you went in and you said, we're actually going to do swimming. Well, I don't want to be a swimmer. Yeah, but you're going to figure it out, right? And they went to a gym rather than a sporting goods store and said, figure out swimming. Today, we're going to do basketball, figure out basketball. If it was more of the gym and the muscle and some of those things, now all of a sudden you can figure out what different pads do I need, you know, using that analogy. It just feels like I, I there again, I think students, if I told this to them en masse, I think they'd be like, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I'm with you. But, but in specific, yeah, we just all want these like more material items as it relates to our education, it seems. I think we also just default on what's comfortable and maybe learning yeah. new processes is uncomfortable. That's a great point. 
Well, yeah. And it's also a good, yeah, it, because also you figure your students are a third or fourth year kind of students, right? So they've had years of education where they have been solving really well-defined problems where they solve for a variable or, or train A, leave station B, train C, leave station D, these kind of super well-structured problems. And you're probably giving them questions or whatever on your assessments that there might not be one single answer, right? Like they could probably come up with a number of different answers and justify it. But that, as you point out, I think for a lot of them, they're like, oh, this is new. I've, I've never had to do this. It must be the faculty member. It must be whatever. And they they sort of offload the guilt it seems, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, I got, I've got i gotten a lot of, uh, I've said it depends probably way too much. <laughs> I think they didn't but like I, that at all. No. They did not like that. I think context... <laughs> But I think that they, what what I was really trying to say and like learning how to say it in a way that they can understand is something that just takes a really long time to get that experience. But just saying it depends didn't resonate with them. I think I needed to say some more like, well, here's the context that actually yeah. would help me understand your your question better. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Other items that you can recall from from teaching that didn't didn't go well, and then we'll get into some of the where, where do you go from here in terms of the re reflections and things you could now uh, use to to you know teach better in the future or have a better experience. Yeah, so I'm, you know, luckily the pandemic didn't hit when I taught to this class. I think mm -hmm. I would have I, they would have been a nightmare to try to figure out that alongside all the starting a new class for this specific kind of class. But I think that um, the main thing was, like I was a new teacher, they didn't know how to, they didn't know what to think of me. You know, you're always a little bit critical, like someone's a little different, they do things differently, they don't have the right norms. Knowing, like getting to know one another in the context of a brand new class was, was probably not great. And then these students were, the way the program is, is it's cohort. So they had done this, this is their fourth time. And so they were pretty tired of yeah. being the guinea pigs of this new curriculum um, when I got them. So, so I mean, looking then at the end of that semester, I'm not asking, by the way, for specific numbers, which can sometimes be sensitive to share, but like, did you at least get good feedback in the student evaluations in the qualitative section? Did they give you something that you, the instructor, could say, okay, I can take this and modify it? Or was it all just... I don't know what we're learning here or, or anger or frustration at learning the same thing, which either way yeah. doesn't really help you. I think, you know, I'd have to look back at them again. I think every time you look at student evaluations, they get a little bit clearer, right? You have to kind of do that first look and then <laughs> go back and <laughs> first look <laughs> and have a, have a stiff drink after it. Be like, Oh God, <laughs> it was terrible. And yeah, so I definitely, I definitely got some good feedback. I didn't get as specific of feedback as I would have liked, um, but there were some some elements that really helped me think about what I did badly and what I needed to do to to make the class work in the future. Was this the first course that you had ever taught? Like, had you had you done as a TA anything as a TA in the graduate school? Yeah. So okay. I did so in graduate school, but I did only one class and mm. I did it, you know, four or five times. Gotcha. So, so you had never like developed like learning objectives and 
our no. syllabus and all of the assignments, anything like that before. Oh, okay. And I had just, I ran the practicum section. Gotcha. So it, there was like, there was development aspects of it and there was coming up with rubrics, but it wasn't from scratch. Oh my God. I had some okay. help. It's important context. That makes what you did even more ridiculous. <laughs> I feel like that's a lot of our profession though, right? Like, they're like, oh, you have this great research and your PhD is wonderful. Yeah, we're going to hire you. I don't know how to teach. Okay. <laughs> just throw us in. You like, that's, I feel like, how a lot of us go through. I mean, some of us were lucky if you get a little bit of teaching as a grad student, but but yeah, I feel like that's fairly common. Yeah. I mean, I felt like I had actually pretty good, yeah, you I mean, know, you... compared to my peers in their first year, I had a good base, but I, I was overly confident in mm. uh, what I was doing. I didn't realize where my experience didn't really come up. Like I didn't have the ability to kind of rethink and be like, well, this is too novel. I need to scale it back. But it was a different group of students, I guess, too. I mean, like you brought up that point, yeah. like they were in a cohort. So like, for sure, they, they had some lived ex- collective experience that they had gone through getting there before you were ever there. So like, it, there is that sort of dynamic that you're still figuring out too. But Which would have been different comes, from your experience at, at your prior institution, I'm sure. Yeah. So, and like, obviously when you're in your prior, you usually have a few classes with the students before you start taking on any teaching. Mm-hmm. So. I, I mean, it's the, it's really the course creation part. I think yeah. that is difficult for a new faculty, especially like, as you said, as you alluded to, you know, coming into a new university, you don't really know what the culture is. You don't know what the norms is. You don't know what the students know versus what they don't know. And so trying to create a completely new course that fits perfectly within that, that curriculum, whether it's a new curriculum or existing curriculum, I think is very challenging. Like I, I would, I mean, for anyone listening, I mean, if you're given the option between create a new course, right, when you start or teach an existing course for a few semesters before you think about doing that, I would always say, like, teach that existing course that's already there, that's already has the skeleton and the structure of of the course that already fits in the curriculum, get good at that, and then think about creating a new one. I mean, I think you had a really difficult assignment. (laughs) I'm just going to say that. Yeah, and I'd be interested to know from other universities, other people that, you know, I think it's really common to be given a a class where you're teaching a brand new class for the first time, but for this, it might be just at the grad level, and it might be more... The grad level is more forgiving, I think, for a new course. And I'll only speak for ours, like the grad level, you could, for a new course, you might have eight students in your, in your class, which let's face like that does make things easier. If there's only a group of eight, even like the group think mindset is a whole different experience there. If something unforeseen happens or whatever with eight rather than 60 or whatever the number is you had in your regular class. Mm-hmm. So maybe then let's shift and let's talk a little bit about some of the what do we do, right? The whole the whole spirit of this podcast is to celebrate failure, not to celebrate sort of the oh boohoo something went wrong, but to celebrate the sort of the the positive transformation that can come through surviving and the things that you can take moving forward. So some of these I think you've already mentioned in in passing, but what are some of the other maybe reflections or lessons learned of things that you would say now you are a better teacher from having survived a challenging early semester first semester? Yeah, I think I'm gonna constantly be learning that. I, uh, all of our different experiences kind of add up and give us 
better teaching legs, as it were. Um, but I didn't realize how much, how hard that assignment was. And upfront knowing that, I would have, I would have gone about it very differently. Yeah. And I don't know if there's a solution to that, but you know, have understanding how much time there needs to be for development for a new course and a new curriculum that hasn't been taught that you have no examples of from any university. It's just hard, right? Yeah. Like so, so we're taught to be to do that, right? We're taught to go for really yeah. hard things. So so we, we didn't we didn't talk about this before, but um, I'd be interested to know, did did you in the week couple weeks that you had, did you try to develop the entire course in its entirety, or did you were you always trying to just stay a few weeks ahead of the students? Oh no, I was always just a, okay. a week ahead. <laughs> that <was laughs> That's, good. Okay. That's what I thought. Okay. That's what I am too. I feel yeah. like I frequently that happens that a lot. Stuff. Yeah. Just, just put that out there. Like yeah. And obviously an you have to do course. a few things <laughs> yeah. to, with a final project type thing. And, you know, we, re we, re we scaled it back a little bit when I realized a, a few of their deficiencies and whatnot. Sure. Um, but yeah, that was hard to do it at the same time. I think Can I ask then also on before we, on, as a follow up to this because I, I think this is a really good thing for others listening. So if you were to now mentor, say, another faculty member who might be starting up and might be in a similar situation, like would you advocate they see if they can get out of the course or say I'm just going to roll with it and do these things? Like what what kind of advice would you give someone else in a similar situation? Well, it depends. <laughs> oh man, of course. come on! <laughs> I'm even dissatisfied with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I'll elaborate though. Uh, it so it does. Um, it matters one how aligned it is with their area of expertise. With um, I think in this case, there was maybe a disalignment with how people perceived my expertise in BIM and what they wanted the class to be, and what my actual expertise was. And that's from both the faculty and the student body. And so if there is the, like, if there are those misalignments, then I think that's a good moment to say pause yeah. that I didn't acknowledge in that moment as much as I could have, hmm. you know, I was given the opportunity to team teach it. And part of me is, you know, glad I did it the way I did. And part of me thinks I might've been able to, um, adjust a little bit better if it was team taught. Yeah. So what other reflections would you look on that you'd say, I think this is something that you could, you know, take with you to improve moving forward? Yeah. So I would, I would have them think about the context, the alignment, like I said, but also the uh, amount of time that they have available to them to get started. So if you're able to then request, all right, I'm going to start in the summer and get uh, an earlier start date, that would be something to to think about that would make it a lot easier. Um, if it didn't involve a lot of software, maybe you, you'd have a different approach completely. Um, 
if you love the idea of the class, like I did, foolheartedly, <laughs> that does change it. I but I but I think I would challenge someone starting off to think about those things because I don't think I was given that opportunity to think of those elements um, in my eagerness to get started. Yeah. I don't know if you felt this way too, but I'll speak only for myself. I think there's also, you say about that eagerness to get started, like just think of like where most of us are when we start, right? We're a PhD student effectively who just got a spot as now a faculty member. Like you, you kind of, it does feel hard to be like, oh, I want to go to my department ahead and say, I don't think I can do this, or I have this concern, or I want this thing changed, or I need this modification, whatever the thing is that can feel like, oh, I'm sort of showing some sense of discomfort with what you're asking me to do. Like, no one wants to do that as your first impression. So I I totally can sympathize with the, you know, you say in, with the benefit of hindsight, looking at it and saying, well, maybe you didn't have that reflection, but like even going through it, I think that's easy to say now, but for someone else listening is, is probably going to be a tough thing to do. And they'll have to be tactful in how they handle that because that can be an uncomfortable conversation. Yes. And I don't think when you first start off, you know what you can ask for and what you can't ask yeah, for. Yeah, probably. There's, that's a great point. There's people that do, and they're the people that were brought up with academics and their family. And then there's well, probably, likely, most of faculty <laughs> that start off don't have that. Yeah. Um, and, I, and also, there's cultural differences between, you don't want to, like, ask for something that's unreasonable sure. in a new institution. You have no idea what's unreasonable. I found out recently that some departments um, offer teaching credit for developing classes. Hmm. Like it's like a whole class to develop a new class wow. in a semester. And I've were half of a class credit hmm. and I've never heard of getting credit like that. Hmm. Um, and knowing what you can ask for. Those are kind of the the nuances that you learn on the job. Yeah. Did you have, or or maybe you still have, did you have almost like peer mentors or someone that you could go to that wasn't necessarily in like a power position where you felt sort of comfortable asking these, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you didn't have that concern, but I know that's something that I would frequently leverage. Yeah. I think I could have, I could have built that network more, but I don't think I had reached out because I felt like I'm just, I'm, going to stay in my lane. I don't know what to ask for. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is great. Any other items that we should go over before we get to sort of the more uh, fun questions that we've got? I, I think I just want to, I, I can't, I said this before, like, I didn't realize how impossible it was until afterwards. And I was like, wow, why did, what happened? And it, I'm still like reflecting on it to this day, right? Like, I feel like I'm in a better place to be able to be honest with myself about it. Um, and, but it, but it's always really hard to admit that like, oh, that did not work at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, 
and that's, I mean, that's so much of what motivates this whole discussion in the podcast. Like, I just feel like that's so part and parcel to academia. Like we, we talked about it in the past through the lens of proposals and, you know, writing something that you just think is brilliant and you find out it's not only is it not funded, but it's so bad. They're not even going to take time to discuss it because it's not worth their time. And it feels like a similar analogy here. Like you put all this effort into teaching. I've got this vision. I'm going to do these different things. I've got these plans. It's going to go great. And then it's just like when it just slams in your face, you just feel like, <laughs> oh man, I, you know, and I don't even, I'm not actually saying that's what happened in, in your course, but I think there are elements of it where that probably resonates. And that definitely aligns with my experience too. Like I had plenty of things that I've just been like, I got to give that up because I really thought this would work and it just didn't, you know, and it hurts. It sucks. That's <laughs> not a fun it part sucks. of the job. And but. But it's when you embrace that, I think you really do grow and yeah. like learn from yourself. So, well, yeah, that. and that's a good point because I think, like, if I'm being honest, when I first we talked about student evaluations, right? And I joked that you have a drink after, but like after I get evaluations, my knee jerk reaction is, well, those students didn't know, you know, and after mm-hmm. time and I cool off, I'm like, okay, I probably could have been, I could have been a little bit better here. And like, once you're exactly right, once you kind of are open to like, oh, yeah, I wasn't actually that good with this like then it's like there's the growth opportunity right mm-hmm. there which sounds obvious in a calm cool head but in the moment when someone's just like that thing you've worked on all semester we didn't like it it's like oh my gosh i really wanted you to like this you know <laughs> yeah, all right they never tell you <laughs> no. let's get to some fun questions brian you want to start us off sure so these are just designed to uh, elicit just a quick response. Like we, we're not looking for anything super insightful. So just whatever first pops into your head, you can feel free to share that. Okay. All right. So there's, there's four of these, I think. So I'll just start with one. All right. So, um, we talk a lot about failures and lessons learned on this podcast. So, um, let's downsize it a little bit and talk about maybe what was a micro failure that you experienced in the last week micro being like, I was very inconsequential, but something that ugh, you were like, it, it made you stop and, and think. It doesn't have to be work related either. Sometimes yeah. the fun, the most fun ones are not. A micro error. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing really bad. Um, I guess I had a, I had a few appointments on Tuesday and I just could not get to them. And then it was a cascading event of everything being late. And then I had to cancel going to some presentations in the afternoon because I just couldn't catch back up. <laughs> That seems like not a bad, but like how either, either, either getting or watching a presentation. Like I'm frequently like, okay, I can miss the presentation. <laughs> it's usually the first <laughs> thing to go. They'll record it. They'll distribute the slides. I can catch that. All right. Um, let's, let's go to the next one. We've got complete the sentence. When I'm not working, there's nothing I'd rather be doing than blank. Uh, hanging out with my kitty. Oh, how many, ca- how many cats do you have? I have two. Oh, nice. We, we always had cats growing up. Do they love the laser pointer? They love the laser pointer. I have <laughs> a automated uh, laser pointer that goes every hour and a half because that's the amount of time it takes them to forget the pattern of the laser pointer. Wow. <laughs> what a productive use of AI. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> Not bad. There we go. All right. 
Uh, third question. Okay. If you had a time machine, okay, you like these, and you can go forward in time or backward in time to anywhere you want for two hours, when and where would you go? So I guess it's a time and space machine since sure. we're saying where. So you could move positions as well as through time. Yeah, because otherwise you might get stuck. Right, exactly. I, yeah, I guess we're thinking yeah. about this. I, I'll sure. reword it for next time. Where would I go? And where? And when? And when? Okay, I just got married. So I'm going to just say I'm going to go back to my wedding because that was hmm. fun. I feel like that's, yeah, that that's a great answer. That's definitely a, a, fun, uh, a fun time, fun party, seeing all the people you care about there. And you could just go for the two hours and not have to worry about all the planning. And oh, whatever, that's, yeah, that's right? true. Exactly. Just there for that two hour fun window and then out of there. Yeah. That's true. I and would the go. the past you deals with all the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, I think, a winner. Planning a wedding, very difficult. <laughs> Yeah, actually, now I feel like we should just look for answers like that on any difficult thing in the moment, yeah. like the, the last quarter mile of a marathon, yeah. <laughs> you go to running that, or you know, whatever, whatever was like the end of an adverse experience, yeah. and just getting the good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a that's a great answer. All right, last one that we've got for you. What is your favorite part of your career or your job that has no place to list it on the CV? listed on the cv or not but there was a really fun moment that i had this semester where i was behind on things and i just turned the class into a discussion i like asked them a hundred questions and they were into it i started it off with well what would you do if you got a six million dollar grant and then we just started talking about research and questions and how we go from that to testable hypotheses. Hmm. It was going to be a grad course. It was a grad course. Sorry. Yeah. Grad courses are fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, whenever I'm asking the students questions, I'm like, okay, but what, but what about this? But what about that? That's yeah. the fun part. Yeah. Cool. Well, sounds good. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being here. The other thing I think what I want, we should definitely say, just for the record, thank you so much for the sort of the transparency and the openness to talk about this. I will at least echo from my side, like you're not alone. I definitely felt like aspects of what you described in your story. And I feel like when I was starting up, I would like to know that I'm not the only one that's like, oh, this is kind of miserable for a little while and it's not very easy. So uh, so thanks. Thanks. Great having you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for joining us today. We will, of course, catch you on the next episode of Prophecy Error.